You may have heard of the drug Ozempic. You may have seen the bold glamour filter on TikTok. And you may be one of the millions of women who get Botox each year. We're living in a really visual world. And I don't have to tell you how frustrating it is or damaging to our mental health, whatever. It's it's whatever. But one thing I do think is missing from the discussion about all these alterations that we can make to our physical and digital appearance is about how it just further perpetuates the patriarchy's beauty myth, which which is evidence that we're gaining power and the system has no idea how to respond other than to go after our own self-confidence. When we get power, my love, the patriarchy seeks to punish us for our public acts by going after our private sense of self, and it places new limits on us. No matter how many steps forward we take as a collective when it comes to body and face acceptance, the patriarchy will always be a few steps ahead trying to be louder in its messaging that we are the problems. It will always try to distract us by getting us to question our worthiness while it continues to diminish our political and economic power. It will always try to instill fear in us that our value as women and femmes, our seriousness as a person is at stake. The issue isn't even if we take Ozempic or get Botox or use fillers or whatever. It's that we need to reject the whole system that benefits from us questioning whether we want them or not, whether we need to tweak our appearance or not to be taken more seriously on the algorithm or in the world. I'm Sarah. I vow right here and now to love my body radically and give it value and seriousness however it looks. This is Reclaiming and Girls to the Fucking Front. Welcome to another episode of Reclaiming, the weekly podcast where we spark a revolution from the inside out. I'm Sarah. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a writer, a witch, and a pole dancer in LA, and I'm so happy to have you this week. And if you're a new listener, welcome. So happy to have you here. If you're a veteran reclaimer, I love you. Thank you so much for listening again this week. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends. I love you so much. Also, before we get to the topic this week, just wanted to make sure you are signed up for Reclaiming the Newsletter, which hits your inbox every Monday. Same with this podcast. I say this every single week. I'm actually so stoked right now. I keep getting new readers and I'm getting people reaching out to me, wanting to be on the podcast. And oh my God, it's just, it's blooming into something so gorgeous. And I'm so happy. And if you do not subscribe, please get on it, my love. You can sign up at the website. It's reclaimeffingeverything.com. That's reclaimeffingeverything.com. And I say this every week, but if you could please head to Spotify or Apple, give this podcast a five-star rating and review. It really helps me with the algorithm. And yeah, I love you. Thank you. Um, so I couldn't go another week without addressing Ozempic and, you know, by extension, Botox and fillers and filters and all the things that make up the various corners of our public facing lives. Am I behind? <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm behind the eight ball here. Anyway. I live in Los Angeles. I know you've heard me say that a thousand times, but these things, Ozempic, Botox, fillers, filters are all part of a daily life here. And it's been like that since the day I moved. This isn't a criticism. It just is what it is. But earlier this week, I came across the bold glamour TikTok filter. Again, I know I'm a few weeks late to the party on this one. I blame it on me not really being on TikTok that often, um, but I was totally taken aback by this thing, like absolutely floored. Um, I'm also really floored 
Biozempic, this new weight loss drug. It's basically everywhere in LA. And and then not to mention the prevalence of Botox and the fact that there seems to be more med spas on a given block than Starbucks. Uh, that's not sourced, but I just you know feel like it sometimes. Now, to establish a baseline here, I will reiterate this many times. I am not shaming or judging any single person who uses these things. My frustration is with um, directly solely at the systems that get us thinking that we need them in order to be taken seriously or even to be you know shown on Instagram feeds. Yes, all of this stuff is damaging to our mental health. There's plenty of sources you can look up about how what this is doing to our mental health. I'm not going to talk about that here because I truly think that the discussion also needs to be a little bit no, more nuanced than that. I think we need to examine the patriarchal beauty myth that underlies and perpetuates these things because to be quite honest, I don't think I know a single person who has never used a filter. That's a double negative, but still everyone uses them. And I'm willing to bet nine out of 10 people I know have had Botox. This discussion I want to have today isn't whether or not we should be doing this stuff, because to be totally honest, it's your body and your life, my love. You know what's best for you and your body. We need to be talking, though, about this system, like I said, that requires these violent and drastic things that women have to do to be considered objectively beautiful and to be able to participate in the systems that our survival systems, basically, this objective beauty standard leaves a fuck ton of people out of it, too. And it's pretty much this thin Eurocentric standard with a few appropriated features here and there. Now, there are so many messages that we as women and femmes are exposed to every day about what it means to exist in our bodies and our faces and what they should look like to be, quote unquote, worth anything. There are so many ways we are tasked with making ourselves be absolutely perfect while still trying to seem natural and accessible. And how fucking exhausting is that? Well, guess what? When we're focused on keeping up with the Kardashians here, we're not thinking about things like our reproductive rights being violently stripped away. When we're focused on what our pictures look like on Instagram, we're not thinking about how peaceful demonstrators and families in Atlanta are getting tear gassed and shot at and jailed and even killed for protesting at Cop City. When we're eagerly searching for a doctor to prescribe us a Zempic, we're not focusing on rising inflation and how it's causing housing and food insecurity, primarily for women of color. Okay, but let's take this back to a Zempic filters and Botox. What I found in my research was that there's a name for this. It's called tweakment culture. And instead of treatment, we're doing tiny little tweaks in very small ways small ways, but it adds up to really big self-confidence and patriarchal consequences. This is mostly a result of the fact that we are in a new era of digital representation. Photoshopping and airbrushing, that's always been a thing, right? But before we were just comparing ourselves to magazine covers. Now we're comparing ourselves to our friends and to people that on the surface look like they have lives just like ours. The beauty standards are, you know, the same. They've always been the same, despite little temporary cultural shifts here and there. And now, as I just said, I don't want to um, shame anyone that uses Botox or filters or Azempic or any of these things. This is a judge-free zone. In fact, I absolutely have been a part of this culture too. I'll buff something out in a photo if I think it's distracting. I use fun fisheye filters on my dance videos because I think it looks cool. I've never gotten Botox, but I've spent thousands of dollars on laser hair removal at, um, since moving to LA. And I read one time from a self-described feminist who gets Botox that her acceptance of it and the act of actually getting her Botox every six months is her just recognizing that aging is often, is always, I should say, weaponized against women. And in order to just survive, especially in LA, you just need to do it. It just needs to be dealt with. She also said that she acquiesces to the bullshit because who has time and money and ability to take every single stand on everything, you know? And I get that. I really, really do. This is a very valid 
take. But tweaking ourselves or representations of ourselves is so fucking normal now, like so normal. It hasn't always been that way. What's really interesting is that the Internet has conscripted us into the manipulation of our own images so that the idea of wearing some kind of a mask, whether it's like plastic surgery or um, Instagram filter or even just irony, it's no longer shameful or unnatural. It's relatable. It's such an interesting feminist development that it's not shameful to do this anymore. In fact, it's actually making us connect with each other. Imagine what we could do if we harness this power for something else like to take down the page patriarchy and uh, that patriarchal beauty myth. Eric and I moved to Los Angeles in 2018, and we both wanted to live here pretty much our whole lives. Even when we were young kids, we wanted to live in L.A. So it made sense that after we started dating again in 2017, that when we did move in together, which was inevitable because we knew that this was it for us, that it would be in L.A. So we saved up for a year. We quit our jobs, packed up our pets and our things, didn't have much. um, And then we moved to West Hollywood. Four months before we moved, though, I have been... I was in a uh, intensive eating disorder treatment program. And I remember everyone telling me how triggering L.A. would be. I had a friend at the time who told me she actually refused to come visit me in L.A. after I moved because she felt unsafe as a person who lived in a bigger body. And L.A. is not kind to folks who live in bigger bodies. And I never faulted her for that. And I still don't. L.A. really is fucking brutal when it comes to your appearance. I remember reading something that said, if you're from New York and you fly to Los Angeles, you'll immediately step off the plane already overweight because everyone here is 20 pounds skinny here kind of that kind of thing is is what makes me so sad. Well, first of all, there sure. Yeah, sure. There are a lot of skinny people here, but that's a really broad generalization. And yes, there are certain pockets that have like a look to them, to the women and femmes like Beverly Hills, West L.A. But that's not all of L.A. And I love L.A. Ironically, the food here is top notch. And Eric and I talk all the time about how we'll never leave because we need to always be able to get street tacos like at all hours of the day. Also, there's so many things to do. There's always something fun to do. The beach is a short drive away. And I'll be honest, meeting famous people on the regular is pretty fucking cool. And when you are real and true here, you will find some of the most creative, interesting, artistic, down to earth people in the world, which I am very proud to say that I found my community here is my heart. It's taken us five years, but we have the most incredible group of people in our lives and more people come in every year. And I know that there are some people who are eaten up and spit out by L.A. And I sympathize. Also, L.A. is the land of selfies. (laughs) It's the land of Instagram. It's the land of ideal. When we first moved here in 2018, there were literal Instagram tours of L.A. You could literally pay someone to take you to all the famous selfie and photo spots like the graffiti wings or the pink wall on Melrose. It was everywhere. Although it's not so much anymore. I still see people lined up at the pink wall, but it feels like something has changed. Not only has LA changed, but the vibe on social media has changed. Gone are the staged photos. And, you know, more and more we're seeing those seemingly candid ones. And I use candid, you know, with an asterisk here because the candid ones have also been heavily altered, whether digitally or on the person's actual body. Today's beauty myth, the LA beauty myth, I'll call it, is one that aims to look earned but effortless. But it's either fake or it's violently acquired. The LA beauty ideal is the Kardashian beauty ideal, sadly. And I had a friend ask me just how big that 
that family's influences on the city. And I told her that they practically own L.A. I see no fewer than two billboards with their faces on my two and a half mile drive down Santa Monica Boulevard through us Hollywood. The beauty ideal is heavily borrowed from their look. It's a sculpted waist. It's a huge ass. Hips that spread generously under a high cut bikini. Also, the face on top of it is contoured hybrid of recognizably human mannequin and sexy feline. That was a quote. I loved it so much because it's so true. It's just it's this really, really cartoony look. Right. And that's the L.A. beauty standard. This is the look that people are trying to get left and right here, either by injecting artificial substances, removing natural ones or altering the photographic evidence. Now, it must be noted here that the Kardashians heavily appropriated black styles for a long time. But in the past year, um, they're now back to hawking the white golden beauty standard, thin, thin, thin. There was speculation that they're taking a Zempic. We know they altered their photos and we know they're doing all kinds of shit to their faces. But let's start with a Zempic. A Zempic was a breakout drug that came to the market in 2017, but blew up practically overnight after rumors that Kim Kardashian used it to shed an enormous amount of weight in a couple of weeks to fit into Marilyn Monroe's dress for the 2022 Met Gala. As a historian who deeply distrusts the Kardashians, I have major problems with this, but moving on. The drug is manufactured by a company called Novo Nordisk. And it's prescribed by a doctor, but there are lots of other ways to get it. It's part of a class of drugs called GLP-1, which are now used to treat diabetes and obesity. And it's approved by the FDA, but only to treat type 2 diabetes. And when you inject it, it basically makes you full. It slows the rate at which food empties out of your stomach. Um, People that take it usually report feeling free from cravings. Um, They're also not able to overeat without getting really sick. These drugs are really safe, um, although, of course, there are side effects like there always are. They're also really, really expensive. I'm hearing um, about a thousand bucks a month for a Zempic and maybe 600 or so for off brand. So not very accessible to the people that may really need it um, because obesity usually is associated with lower incomes um, and insurance companies pretty much refuse to cover it. A Zempic, like I said, is wildly effective. And as a recovery anorexic, I'm not going to give you numbers here, but just trust. <laughs> There's the idea in LA that if you see someone that looks super thin, like randomly overnight, everyone kind of assumes that they're on a Zempic. I also want to pause here and say that I subscribe to Glennon Doyle's rule of mind your own body as a recovering anorexic. Let's just make a pact not to talk about other people's bodies to them no matter what. The numbers thing here with a Zempic to me is really triggering. And just reading about the quote unquote success stories, if we want to call it that, has really made me think about my relationship to my body. And I don't know how much I weigh. I have no interest in knowing a number because I remember remember how controlled I was by the scale. But knowing that a Zempic does what it does has made me battle a ton of thoughts of maybe I should try it. That's how powerful these anecdotes are. That's how deeply ingrained the beauty myth is. After all this deep seismic work around my body that I've done in the last six years and how incredibly far I've come, I'm still dealing with the allure of that maybe, just maybe I should try it myself. But not only do I have that not have that kind of money, it's not something I'd ever really spend that kind of money on. And as I've mentioned, I'm much more interested in burning the system to the ground. That makes me think I'll be taken more seriously in LA if I lost weight. Doctors have talked about these kinds of medications as helping decrease a range of dopamine seeking behaviors like 
online shopping and drinking. And with all of these dev- groundbreaking developments for the drug, it's really no wonder that all the rich and famous on in LA are on it. Jimmy Kimmel even joked about it this year's Academy Awards. There's been a lot of discussion about famous celebrities taking it. Again, I won't name names because minding my own body, but there are Hollywood Ozempic parties and it's just a thing. Hollywood's buy-in is actually what took it from just a regular drug to status symbol. And it's not since Botox and before that Viagra that a drug brand has become so well known so quickly. LA has this very uh, never too rich, never too thin bandwagon and anything that allows you to hop on it easily and quickly is prized. The rage here for it is just absolutely unbelievable. And I even heard one person call it baptism by injection. Again, I am not knocking anyone on a Zempic. I am not. I I guarantee you, I know a fuck ton of people on it, and I am not here to say that it's wrong. Komodo Health, a firm that tracks healthcare data for 330 million patient files, noted an uptick in people with no prior record of diabetes receiving these drugs, a fourfold increase in California alone. And the people taking Azempic are younger. Of all non-diabetic patients who have been prescribed Azempic, almost 40% are between 25 and 44. For all patients, including the ones that need it for diabetes, the majority are between 45 and 64. So we're looking at people 20 years younger taking it to lose weight. And it's 40% of people taking it um, to lose weight are, are, two full decades younger. (laughs) Doctors actually have pretty wide latitude to prescribe the drug off-label for anyone that thinks they might medically benefit. And many patients have found that doctors, or if there aren't any doctors, nurse practitioners, or metaspas are ready to certify that they would. They also can get, uh, patients can also get it compounded um, and off-label versions, which is a legal gray area that the FDA knows about and hasn't done anything about. If you're like a scientist or not squicked out by needles, or whatever. That's how a lot of people are doing it. They're just ordering the like the parts and mixing it themselves and then putting it in the syringe. It's just all fucking weird. Um, but let's be clear, those for those who need a Zempic for medically rather than cosmetically, the drugs really are a godsend. The primary indication um, for a Zempic and the only condition they're actually approved for is treatment of type 2 diabetes, just like I said. Um, and it's anecdotally changing these people's lives for the better. I've read se- several accounts of people getting their lives back once they are on this drug. And I am absolutely here for that. But and also there is huge tension between those who need it to manage their diabetes and those who snatch it up for their own weight loss purposes. It's making the drug impossible to find. And that's a really defining quality of this Zempic moment we're in. But there's also a deeper message about the body positive movement here with Azempic. The movement, which was started by black women in the 60s, really just sought to address the fact that fat phobia is rooted in anti-black racism. This movement, furthermore, was meant to expose the bias in healthcare for women of color, and particularly those with higher BMIs. Fat phobia is real, especially for people of color, and it's easy to see why folks are scared of gaining weight. Doctors, about a third of whom in one study reported viewing their obese patients as sloppy and lazy. They frequently misdiagnose, undertreat, or shame fat people who then accumulate reasons to distrust medical care. But what started as a movement for black women was appropriated by white culture, a culture that has been absolutely defined by, okay, you're already white. Now let's see where you fit among the white folks, fat and lazy at the bottom or rich and thin at the top. This co-opting by white people for white people is why the body positive movement has always had a precarious grasp on us anyway. Like, look at this. We, we praise celebrities like Adele and Rebel Wilson for being in bigger bodies at first, and then we gawk and praise them when they lose drastic weight. So it's understandable 
understandable why we'd be scared to gain weight. Like I said, the system is built for this, my love. Although there's always been a bit of backlash to the diet industry, this whole whiplash situation of rejecting the idea of the perfect body only to turn around and actively praise and seek it, it's just the same shit in a different era. For women and femmes, there's always been this push-pull relationship with our bodies. Since the Industrial Revolution, the beauty myth has been expertly driven by the capitalistic patriarchy and their partners in the advertising, diet, fitness, and beauty industries. And women are meant to achieve thinness by any means necessary. Amphetamines, great food diet, slim fast. Dealing with a beauty myth and our acceptance and adherence to it is a foundational tenet of female socialization. Not only does the patriarchy rely on us questioning our self-worth as related to our appearance to keep us distracted and compliant, it's also financially resourced by it. And it's been around our whole lives, our mother's lives, our grandmother's lives. For me, when I was a preteen in that, you know, heroin chic 90s, there were pro-Anna, pro-anorexia websites everywhere on the internet. In the early 2000s, we read Cosmo and teen people and then puked or did obsessive sit-ups or took hydroxy cut to have abs like Britney Spears. In the late 2010s, even as the Kardashians played up their curves, they sold flat tummy company laxative tees and waist trainers. And now women are just a tap away from a never ending social media parade of aspirational faces and bodies. Ozempic and the drugs like them aren't going anywhere. In fact, the next three years are some experts say will be pivotal for obesity medicine. For some, these drugs really do help them create a like healthy relationship to food and their bodies. But to some, it's an injectable eating disorder. This Ozempic moment to me, at least, has shown us how quickly we've abandoned our commitments to body acceptance. As soon as a dieting silver bullet comes around, it shows us how fulfilling some people seem to find it to be the thing that they swore they've overcome. I'm pretty sure we're about to see these drugs everywhere, too. Drug manufacturers Eli Lilly and Novo Nordic Nordisk <laughs> are working on at least 12 more obesity medications. And Weight Watchers has actually acquired a telehealth company. It's a weight loss company called Sequence, and they specialize in prescribing GLP-1 drugs like Ozempic and other off-label brands. Morgan Stanley actually forecasts that the U.S. revenue from such drugs will increase 400-fold by the end of the decade. Obesity, then, looks to become the next big blockbuster pharma category. So in the future, if you take Ozempic or any of these drugs, I just implore you to dig deep about the reasons you use it. What are your choices? What do your choices mean in context of the bigger patriarchal beauty myth? Also, just thinking about if it's truly helping you reclaim your life as it has for so many people, or if it's just assuaging your fear that your value as a woman or a femme or your seriousness as a person is at stake. And that is what we're fighting. We're fighting the fact that the old patriarchal ideologies still have power to control us as women and femmes, that they grow stronger the more the patriarchy can't manage us. We're not confined to the kitchen anymore, ladies. So the patriarchy is slipping something else in there for us to worry about and spend all of our time and attention on. No matter what happens with things like abortion rights, the more freedom we get to be authentic in social media has certainly helped with that. The louder the patriarchy is going to be about how our bodies are different from the perfect body. The patriarchy needs to keep us down in some way. And remember, too, this myth of the perfect body is actually always about prescribing behavior, like violently altering your body or your eating habits or your spending rather than your appearance. There's also a thing called a zempic face, which means the aging effects of that sudden weight loss on your face, which leads me to a quick aside 
relied on Botox and fillers in cosmetic surgery, which can certainly be used to replump the newly wrinkled and sunken faces. I don't want to dwell here because I think Azempic is really the biggest thing we need to talk about most urgently this week. But I do want to say if there's someone listening that thinks they're going to try Azempic and it will cure all the problems, that it will only push the goalposts further. Trust me, I've been there. I That whole, I'll only go down two more sizes, then I'll be happy. And then two more sizes come become four. And then all of a sudden, my body starts sprouting hair all over to keep me warm because my BMI is 15. Botox and fillers and professional procedures have really skyrocketed since the pandemic, growing almost 50%, which a lot of people attribute to the pressures of seeing ourselves on video calls so frequently. And plus filters and social media, which I'll get to in a second, are shifting what we perceive to be normal and has been a huge driver in the increase in demand of altering our appearances. The age of 24-7 documentation has spurred a novel set of beauty ideals and with it, a dramatic increase of cosmetic procedures. A Botox face used to make people giggle and whisper, right? We used to call it, oh my God, she's had so much Botox. But these uncanny faces actually fueled reality television, a genre that makes a burlesque out of womanhood. And thus, Botox has really gotten this kind of campy pageantry and people are disarmed around its use. Botox once suggested vanity, delusion and self-consciousness. Now it has fresh associations with confidence and resilience and even authenticity as people, you know, the idea of having work done has actually come to be seen as a legitimate form of work. Again, people are getting Botox in L.A. as prevention as early as their 20s with the phrase, you want to keep your room clean before it gets too dirty floating around. More women between the ages of 22 and 40 use Botox than women over 60, according to the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. Even some of the most militant feminists are getting Botox here now. And again, I'm not knocking it. I have often considered it myself. I, I All of my friends get it and I still might do it, but I have to think, why am I doing it? Because it could help my migraines or whatever. Or am I getting it because I don't want wrinkles because wrinkles are stigmatized, not because they make me look old, but because they make me look angry or sad or surprised or distressed. I mean, alive <laughs> women are pressured to remove the evidence that they're living, breathing, emoting beatings. Really? <laughs> Lastly, but very quickly, I wanted to bring up filters because it's really what prompted this whole topic. Filters have come a long way since the dog filter. Zoom and a 24-7 barrage of edited photos on Instagram and TikTok might be making us more insecure, but guess what? They also give us a solution to that with filters and editing apps. Now you can tap and swipe anything away you don't want. The bold glamour filter, the one I mentioned earlier, is so crazy because MIT actually warned that the tech is so advanced that viewers might not clock it as a filter. The bold glamour filter is rife with that Eurocentric Western beauty ideal that includes arched brows and wide eyes, chiseled cheeks, pumped lips, and a slimmed and sloped nose, smoothed and lightened skin, and a face full of makeup. The filter is also seamless, so it makes it really hard to detect and it doesn't glitch very easily. There have been, I mean, I watched so many videos of people like putting their face, their hand in front of their face and it doesn't glitch like the filters used to. That's what's making this kind of, this, that's what makes this such a different time in the whole filter landscape. This is, this is a new era. Since its rollout, the bold glamour filter hashtag has racked up more than 200 million views on TikTok, the app shows. I think the thing about this one is not is that it's not cartoony, which is so huge. In the age where beauty filters are everywhere, that's why 
Bold glamour is such a game changer. And I fear that we're looking ahead at the before BG and after BG eras of social media, which is quite honestly a reason I want to start pulling myself away from social media these days. There just seems to be so much danger of living in a world where meeting the highest and most unachievable standard of beauty is instantaneously normalized. Again, I'm not knocking some of the more harmless beauty filters or photo editing. I too adjust a thing or two here or there, and I've used plenty of beauty filters in the past myself. According to a City University of London study, 90% of young adult women ages 18 to 30 say they filter their social media images because of the pressure they feel to conform to perceived beauty standards. And roughly 21% of Americans of any gender have reported using beautifying filters on their photos before they posted them to their social media profiles. And that was according to a 2021 Consumer Reports study. Among those who say they use filters, 9% admit to always or near always using them, while 13% say they use it often. Lots of people are calling out bold glamour, though. In fact, the overwhelming majority of uses of the filter were women like me calling it out for being an inauthentic representation of reality and how harmful it can be to our self-image. These apps can label them all they want as filters, but it's truly changing our perception of how we see our own faces. Again, this is the patriarchy punishing women for having a voice and being platformed on social media by going after our private security in our own bodies and our own faces. This is not a problem perpetuated by the people who use these filters. I use them too. This is a problem about beauty as a currency system like the gold standard. Like any economy, it's determined by politics. And it's the last and best belief system that keeps male dominance intact. They realize they can't get us a lot of other ways, but they can get us this way. The beauty myth assigns value to women and femmes in a vertical hierarchy based on their appearance and body size and their beauty. And the culturally imposed standards of beauty and bodies and expression is an expression of power power relations. That's it. It's just power relations. It doesn't actually mean anything in which women must unnaturally compete for resources that men have historically appropriated for themselves. Now, I'm not going to go into all the mental health stuff here, how damaging these things are to our mental health. I'd rather focus on this anti-patriarchy message, but people are really feeling alienated from themselves and struggling to be in the world every day with other humans without feeling like they have to perform and appear to be someone they're not. This is true. But the bigger issue is about the beauty myth at large. And I am so frustrated that this part of the story is not being talked about enough. We're living in an unprecedented visual virtual culture. The beauty industries have long marketed airbrush and altered images of models and celebrities that showcase these ridiculously unrealistic beauty standards as they situate themselves as both the cause of and the solution to women's insecurities. There's a, a philosophy professor at the University of Birmingham, Heather Widows, that argues that it's elusive nature of the beauty ideal that may actually strengthen its power. Its unattainability doesn't stop us from trying to grasp it. In closing, though, let's talk for a second about what it means to make yourself beautiful. Now, I'm a glamour witch. I love nothing more than wearing a set of dramatic lashes and a dark red lip. Okay, I love wearing heels. And although most of the time I wear my jeans and my docks, I love getting dressed up in cute dresses and styling myself like Elvira, my hero. We do not need to feel guilty for dressing ourselves up, my love, for wearing lipstick, for taking pretty pictures of ourselves, for exercising, for taking care of our bodies, for feeling more like ourselves at a certain size. We just need 
to separate the patriarchy beauty myth and the myth of the perfect size and the perfect face and the perfect body that has held us hostage since forever. It's held hostage so many things too for, from us. It's held our sexuality hostage, our visual enjoyment, bonding among women, sensual pleasure and fabrics and shapes and colors and female fun. This problem isn't whether you doll yourself up or fix a flaw on a photo. I don't think anyone is going to fault you for that. It's not whether you wear makeup or not. It's not whether you get Botox or shun it. It's not whether you gain weight or lose it or make our style and clothes and faces into works of art or, or just ignore it altogether and just let ourselves be exactly as we are as, as when we wake up in the morning. The problem isn't that. The problem is our lack of choice in participating in the beauty culture. It's our lack of choice in making it in capitalism or the workplace without presenting ourselves in a certain way, which is usually thin, conventionally beautiful, and white. It's our lack of choice of being taken seriously if we shave our legs or we don't. We don't have a choice whether we want to participate in the beauty culture to be taken seriously or to have any kind of power. That's the problem here. Now, I gave up at any hope of looking to the LA beauty culture to fully include me. And I say this as a white woman with all kinds of physical privileges. This issue takes on a whole deeper, more insidious angle for women of color, older women, fat women, women with skin or hair disorders, disabled women, etc. But for me, I have completely given up hope of trying to fit into that LA Kardashian culture is what I mean. Plus, all the rich and famous people here have teams to get them to look exactly like that, even if they aren't filtering their, their photos to hell. I gave up my desire to fit in very quickly when I got here, surprisingly, coming from my eating disorder history. But giving up that expectation was so freeing to me. It was so liberating. The LA Kardashian beauty culture will never include me exactly as I am. And if I get to some elusive end goal, the goalposts will only inevitably shift with or without me. And it was never designed to include me from the get-go because if it does, it's lost its function. As long as the definition of beauty and perfection come from outside of women and friends, we will continue to be manipulated by it. This will happen with every single iteration of the beauty myth that we encounter in our lives and every single effort we make to reform the index through things like body positivity, face positivity, fat acceptance, any of that stuff that we try to do to, to reform the, the index, to reform the system won't won't make anything change until we finally say fuck it and we burn that whole system to the ground together that's when things will change now i want to leave you with this you do not win by struggling to the top of a caste system you win by refusing to be trapped within one at all the woman wins who calls herself beautiful and challenges the world to change to truly see her <laughs> that's it for this week my loves I hope you liked it thanks so much for tuning in once again if you're new here I'm so glad you joined us this week please make sure you're signed up for reclaiming the newsletter you can sign up at the website at reclaim effing everything that's reclaim e-f-f-i-n-g everything.com follow me on Instagram at reclaim effing everything and please 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 if you enjoy this podcast give it a five star rating and review share it with a friend I just launched my feminist communications consulting agency as well if you're a femme identifying person or business owner without a brand communications strategy and would like to work with me to break the patriarchy from within, please visit my website at sarahsporlock.com. And remember, you are perfect just the way you are. Your body deserves love and pleasure and care and fun and cute clothes, whatever that means to you. My love, your face is perfect because it's your face. No one else's. No matter what you've ever done to alter it, it's you 
It's unique. It's what makes you beautiful. We can adorn ourselves with pretty objects because we're not objects, right? Our faces and clothes and bodies are just one form of self-expression out of a full range of others. Adorn and alter your body for your own pleasure, my loves, but speak up for your rights because you're fucking worth it. Until next week, my loves, I love you so much and girl, fucking power. Hey.